Welcome to Inner Beauty Code. I'm your host, Rachel Fialco, a psychology master student, makeup artist, and yoga teacher. Join me weekly on a journey of self-discovery, exploring psychology, wellness, spirituality, beauty, and beyond. Let's dive in. And welcome back to the Inner Beauty Code. Today, my guest is Jane Kersel. Again, we are doing a Q&A answering all the questions that you listeners wrote in. And I'm so excited for this because, again, such great information, so much insight and wisdom from Jane. I hope you guys love this conversation as much as I do. Now, everyone that wrote in some questions for Jane, thank you so much, you guys. I'm so excited that she will be able to answer these questions. So do you want to just get right into it, Jane? I know we have them. Yeah. We've grouped the questions in different stages of relationships. So early dating, dating in general. The first question we have is, how do you get a guy to want to be in a relationship? Ha ha. Exactly. That's a million dollar question, isn't it? Well, first of all, I think you have to read The Power of Attachment, which is not my book, but a really good book on attaching. And I will I will put it in our notes. But that will give you an idea about whether he is just maybe scared to be in a relationship. Maybe he's a bit nervous. Maybe he's got a lot on and his priorities are elsewhere, but he's still interested. And again, it's about a conscious dialogue to try and get to the bottom of it. And I think also with a guy who keeps on saying he's he's not interested, he probably isn't. And there is a need to listen to that, regardless of what you Im- sort of imagine it might be. It's not about you. Perfect. Thank you. Um, let's see. So the cab light theory, and for anyone who is not um, familiar with what this means, I think it was like on Sex in the City a long time ago, but um, basically that you could be like, again, the most amazing woman in the world and find a guy and he's just not ready to commit or not ready to settle down and, and be what you want. And you kind of, it's like timing is everything. So when a guy's ready and the woman who's there and available to them will be the one, quote unquote, the one or the one that he ends up marrying. So uh, what's your view on that? It's pretty similar to the first question. It's Again, about having a healthy conversation and really listening and not making it mean about you. If if you've already had some interaction and then suddenly pull back, I mean, that's well worth talking about, isn't it? You know, I've noticed you pull back. I just wondered what that's about, you know, what's going on for you. And just giving a sort of safe space where people can get really honest rather than being too pushy. And like you said, it is all about the timing. You know, maybe it, you're not... A relationship is not their priority in that moment. Maybe they've been scared because they had a, a bad relationship that they're not over yet. And so sometimes, like a boomerang, you have to let it go. You know, I've I've had clients who have really let something go and it's come back in a much lovelier shape. Like, you know, if you're really invested in it, let it go. And trust, you know, if it's meant to be, it'll come back. Or not, if it's not meant to be. Now, this next question, I think, is very interesting with, you know, the way society is going with dating apps and with Instagram and all the social media platforms. But um, the question is, how does social media influence relationships? And does it matter if a man follows other women and likes their photos? Mm. Is that like a red flag to be careful of? Again, it's about it's about finding out why they do it. You know, if maybe maybe they're in maybe they're a personal fitness person and so they do it to get clients, I don't know. Or or maybe they're a photographer and so their line of business is looking at good looking women and, you know, form and all that. And and so maybe it's not a an emotional linkage or maybe it's not even sexual, but I think it's important to to try and find out what, what that's about. And in particular if it's being done behind your back, you know, or you're you're you know, you're not privy to when it happens I think that is a a red warning light I think I think with social media the the challenge is everything is all about the physical isn't it I mean you don't get any you don't get any idea about what the person's like how they talk what their personality is in a a great depth so you're, you're meeting at a very superficial lightweight kind of dance in a way and so don't expect it to suddenly go deeper 
or don't expect it to be long lasting. Maybe it is just a light superficial thing where you just fancied them and they fancied you. I mean, it's interesting that the question was posed about guys looking at women. Well, I mean, why aren't we asking that same question the opposite way around? Like, how does the guy cope when the woman is looking at all these hot guys on social media? I mean, I'd love it to get to a point where we're, we're having to have that discussion. That would show me that we're balancing out the imbalances in our society a lot, a lot more. Yeah. But, you know, sense. if you're with a guy and he looks at hot women or you're with, a, you're, you're with a guy and you look at hot men and you can both go, wow, look, I, I saw this people today, this person today, they're hot. But, but you're not needing to do any more than that or you're just saying that was, they're beautiful, fine, you know. I mean, some, some people like, you know, to have more than your other partner in a relationship. So long as it's consensual, that, that's fine, you know. Yeah, and I think... Um the assumption that just because a person's following hot girls or liking their photos does not necessarily mean that there's more beyond just the visual like appreciation of what's being posted, because that also poses another scenario of like objectification. And like you said, you know, how many times have you heard like, oh, I met I hear, I hear it a lot from guys like how, you know, the edited photos that women have. And I did a, did research on this in, in school for one of my papers, but just how the image of beauty that's presented and the, the content that's curated is not even real. So when people go to meet someone in person from a dating app or from an Instagram uh, photo, often there's like a discrepancy in what is being sold online and what's your, your meeting in person. So I guess, yeah, I think there's, there's a lot there and maybe just looking at the picture doesn't necessarily, and liking it doesn't necessarily mean that, that they're having a relationship with these people that, that are online. And I think that's why I think people get, maybe get jealous. I don't know. That's just from talking to other women about it. Yeah. And if it's happening a lot or if you're feeling them disconnected in your relationship and yet they're connecting with good looking people on on Instagram or whatever, that is a problem because there's something missing in your relationship. So the question is, what is missing between us that has you go there? So it's almost like a, it's not an affair, but it but it's got a similar energetic. You're looking outside of your marriage or your partnership and you're seeing something in those other images that that is attracting you and it may not even be the person you're looking at it might be their lifestyle it could be that they're on holiday all the time and so there's a part of you that is being denied that is in in shadow as we call it you know where you are not living that life and so you see it on an image and, and you go wow I want that I want that life and like you say Rachel so truly it's it's not real and we have to keep reminding ourselves honestly if we all showed up as we really are on social media and I don't think people would engage you know because the, mm-hmm. the gloss will have gone you know the whole magic will have gone exactly and then that leads to the next question about dating apps how do you feel about them and then how does one protect their self-confidence when engaging in dating apps and dating people online mm. Mm, that's such a that's such a good question I, I think you've got to be quite a resilient person to go on a dating app. So I wouldn't recommend it if you've just had a breakup, because I think already you'll be feeling a little bit unsure, a bit insecure. And I think then to put yourself, you know how friends want to go, no, get out, you've got to date, go on social media. I think you've got to do it when you feel confident in yourself, that you're comfortable with your own body, comfortable with your looks, comfortable in your own skin. So you're not having to lie about how old you are or morph your image where you can just show up and it's like, okay, I want to meet someone. And I think it's very important you do it in that energetic of what you're hoping to attract. So if you do it in a confident way of, hey, I'd really like to meet someone. So I'm going to upload a photo that's pretty true to me. I'm going to say stuff that is pretty true to me. Great. You're likely to attract something of a similar vibration that is also showing up for those same reasons. But if you were showing up in a sort of like, you know, I just want loads of people to like me, then I know I'll feel liked. So if I get loads of swipes my way, that shows I am amazing. That is completely the wrong energetic to do it. And you'd be bitterly disappointed. Wow. And and that goes for, for everything too. Because I, I was having this conversation with a guy recently about how the need for validation from women. And if you're on social media and you're getting, you know, lots of hot girls like liking you, how it can be a 
like it can distort your self-worth almost, you know, if you're relying on that and you're showing up in the way like, I'm going to go online so that I could be hotter than I used to be. It'll validate me as like desirable person. Yeah, that's, I think that the intention and energetic behind it is, is really useful way of thinking it. So thank you. I think it's, um, I think on that, just on the, on the energetic as well, it's, it's sort of like when you, when you show up, it's again about being comfortable in your own skin. And so it, it's where you get validated by what others are thinking of you. And I think that's a dangerous place to be because looks don't last. You know, that freshness, that beauty you might have in your 20s isn't going to be there in your 50s. And if you have connected with a partner and it's all about looks, don't be surprised if it breaks up 30 years down the line where you've lost your looks and maybe they are all about that more superficial side. And that's not a judgment. It's, it's just the way some people roll. Some people will roll just on the aesthetic of what something looks like. And then when you are older, they won't like that. And you see that a lot in men, you know, when they go for their 20-year-old PAs where they've married young, they've met this princess, they're a king, they feel really great, they build a successful life together, they have children. Suddenly, I've had clients like this, they feel an outsider because there's a kid or two kids or three kids. And so the man then gets lonely and feels bored and this wife is sort of become from a princess to a queen you know she's she's like the monarch in her own home she's got her own autonomy she she gave birth I mean geez that that is a massive statement of self-power for women I think we really need to claim that back and so this guy the husband is feeling rejected abandoned he almost abandons himself he he starts to pull back from the family and then his eyes turn to a 25 year old PA or whatever I'm cliching till the cows come home but he, he sees a princess and suddenly she is looking up to him because he's older, he's more established, he probably drives a fancy car, he's got money so they can go to nice restaurants and she is suddenly entranced by this guy. And what does he do? He leaves his wife, he moves in with her, they have more kids, that princess becomes a queen, she gets her autonomy, having given birth, and then the guy feels abandoned again, he looks back at his ex-wife who's now older probably in a in doing something very empowering for herself now no longer looking after the kids and he goes geez why did I leave that and that's our modern fairy tale instead of the frog and the princess it becomes this energetic you know dance of king queen he leaves meets the princess she becomes a queen again yeah that's such a important topic to touch on because you know most of my friends are married too and and just looking at the dynamics of the different relationships that basically all my friends are married all my my age friends and just seeing yeah how that can be very tricky which is also important for people to think about so hopefully men and women who are listening to this consider the consequences or you know maybe the grass isn't greener on the other side of the fence. Okay, the next question. There is such a gray area in dating these days. How do you say what you want in a relationship without scaring the guy away? Which, you know, we've I think we've kind of touched on this throughout the whole conversation. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think we have. Again, it comes back to you need to learn to say it from you, what you need, what you feel, how you want a relationship to be rather than finger pointing where you're not enough i'm i'm putting it on you and i'm creating shame in you so again it's that phrase of what i would love is this you know what i dream of is this what i need in our relationship is this and so then the guy or the other person can can respond to that without feeling sort of attacked where they have to then naturally drop into a defensive or attacking mode so conscious communication is how can i say something less from my head so less sort of aggressive and sort of bam, 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 and softer from my heart where I'll use words like I'm feeling, I'm noticing, I'm sensing, rather than I'm thinking, I'm thinking this, that sounds, you can, even my body language, you know, I'm sitting up, my hands have become like this, I'm thinking, I'm looking up to the right, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about our relationship, whereas can you instead drop deeper into your body, this is embodied conscious relating, and, and be in your body and go, I'm noticing, I'm feeling, you know, I'm wondering. 
So it becomes more of a rounded discussion rather than a fait accompli, where it allows our, the person we're talking to to respond, not feeling they have to come up with a particular answer, whereas they can be in the dialogue, in the dance of the dialogue, not polarized. I love that. Dropping into the body again and being aware of how you're delivering the information. Next is when should you sleep with the guy, girl, person, as in what is the norm? Woo. When should you sleep with them? <laughs> yeah. Are we saying are we saying when when are we having sex with them? You know, or are we just having yeah. a little, like a, oh. a little hangout camp? What's the norm when you're in a relationship to be having sleepovers? Do you, do, is it normal to be sleeping over at the guy's house five nights a week and vice versa? Yeah. What's a healthy amount of time to spend together? Listen to those rules, isn't it? I mean, it's free world. You can do what the hell you like, you know, like you, you, you don't have to follow anyone else's directions. I mean, with regard to when should you sleep with someone or when you should have sex with someone, I think you've got to feel into yourself if you feel safe, if you feel valued, if you feel respected, if you feel it's a, it's a nice kind of dance between the pair of you, for sure. If you're someone who imagines when you have sex, that means you're in something and it's committed, then I would suggest you don't have sex too early on because that will be your default. You will then imagine, you know, you're in this relationship. I was listening to this uh, talk where they were saying when a, when a woman has sex, oxytocin gets released in her, which is the feel-good um, neurotransmitters. When a man has sex, it's testosterone that gets released in his system. So you can understand why the woman often feels, oh my God, I'm melting into you. And he's just like, yeah, that was great. <laughs> So it takes a long time for the guy to start releasing oxytocin. And so it might take a while for him to kind of end up going, wow, I really love this. I love you. I'm in this, you know. So there's no hard and fast rule. And it's really checking in, checking in with yourself first. Am I safe? Am I comfortable? Does this feel right to me? Rather than what's the rule? What would other people do? That's all head. What feels right? And then you act on that. That makes sense? Oh, and the sleepovers, and the sleepovers, sorry. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, no, sorry, the sleepovers. Yeah, yeah. You were doing that when, so again, there's no norm. It's like, oh, if this is a relationship, it's five nights a week. It's whatever feels comfortable for you. If you want, like I am someone, right? Whenever I'm in a relationship, I need time alone. I cannot do a relationship 24-7. I'm highly sensitive in my nervous system, highly nuanced. I mean, that's what makes me good at my job because I'm a big empath. But it has its, its negatives, which are, I need to decompress by myself. And if I don't decompress, I feel spun out. I, I literally don't know where I start and they begin. And that is a style of attachment where you're almost morphing into the other person, where you could almost feel what they want before you know for yourself what you want. So... Be really mindful of that. If you are someone who's highly sensitive, and that's the whole thing in itself, if you are highly sensitive, own it. I am a highly sensitive person, so I can't sleep mm -hmm. over here every night of the week. So I'm not going to. I'm going to sleep over here one night, and maybe you come to me. And again, I'm saying in a way where we still have linkage. I haven't said I'm not coming here because it's trashy, and my toothbrush isn't here, and I hate your toothpaste, <laughs> and I hate, your, I hate your roommate, or whatever it is. You're saying, I, these are my needs. This is what I want. This is what works for me. There's no ego to it. I show up as a better person when I've had a night's sleep by myself. And it's okay to claim that and say it. Perfect. Lastly, in this category, what should I look for in my partner? What's, what are healthy ways to choose a partner? What qualities? Or I guess that also depends <laughs> on the person. <laughs> I think... I think what I've learned over my years is always relationships are about us attracting our opposites because it's the opposite attraction that that is fulfilling something in us that we don't have. So you'll never get two narcissists in the same relationship. You'll never get or, or you won't get without friction two highly achieving people. There'll always be friction. So usually in a relationship like that, you'll have a high achiever and then someone who enables it, someone who is the support system who does all the stuff in the background. And, and so they're disowned 
sort of self disowned part of themselves will be the high achiever and the high achievers disowned not expressed part will be the one who stays home the one who's quieter the one who enables and so any dance of polarities which is what we're talking about here the polarity of relationships the dance of relationships is where we want to feel we are more coming towards the mid midpoint the buddhists call it the middle path and and we're able to be at our extremes at times but we're able to come back and take on a bit of each other's different aspects so for instance if you're married with someone who's a complete couch potato and you're really like at the weekend it's like go 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 never want to sit still it's my time i need it i need to see my friends then it's about negotiation it's about you needing to find the part of you that could be the couch potato that could watch a whole box set on netflix where that partner will feel met there and equally there's a negotiation yeah once i've done that i'm for sure coming out with you and we're going to rock it you know stay out all night whatever it is that you need so it's that mutual dance you know it's like that yin yang or that con- you know continuity symbol the eternal dance you know that eight on its side And that seems like a healthy way of looking at it because, you know, you're never going to find like this perfect match that's like, but I guess if you guys are able to flow together and I guess compromise, right? And and meet each other in the middle, Mm -hmm. that sounds like the healthiest way. You, Jane. (laughs) Um, (laughs) What? What's you, Jane? You're so good that you know what you're talking about, ladies. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, but you're asking great questions. You're asking great questions. You make me feel very comfortable. I'd be shit if this Aww. had to be sort of like professionally done. I'd be like, can't say anything. No, so yeah, kudos to good. your interviewing skills. Kudos, kudos. Ah, good. Thank you. Okay, so now when you are in a relationship, how do you get your partner to understand your love language when you're different? Mm. Again, I think you communicated before about just telling them. (laughs) Yeah, tell them in a nice way, though. Don't tell them as a dictate. You know, here's my 20 page checklist of what I need. It, It has to be a conversation, a dialogue. You know, this is what I love. This is what I need. This is what I love about you. This is what I'm less keen on. The whole thing is that dance. And it, and it, again, is embodied in you first out to them rather than aggressive, dictatorial, conditional. I like that. And I, I think I was going to say, if someone doesn't know their love language, possibly you might not even know what mm. you need to feel loved. And I had with previous partners to actually be like, oh, do you know what your love language is? I know what mine are. Here, take this test right now. And like my my ex like literally sat there on the phone with me and I made him do the test. And I know that mine are like quality time and words of affirmation found his too were quality time so it was that was helpful so hey if you guys don't know or you want to see what your partners are you can maybe have them take the love language test too (laughs) you know what i what i love about that that that's really beautiful rachel And, and what i love about that is how we're all teaching each other, you know, like no one's got it. No one's sorted. No one has it all. And and we're all clumsy on this path that we're on of life, you know, and we fuck up. We all do inevitably. And it's not about being perfect. And and you're never, ever going to be sorted. You never are. Like hear it from me now. You never are. And it's a constant negotiation with yourself and with your partner and the rest of the world around you. And that's what makes living so vital. You know, you'll have days when you feel like shit, when you won't want to get up in the morning and, and on those days when you still do, way to go. And you'll have other days when you jump out of bed. I love that Dharma, the, the Buddhist wheel, you know, or the tarot wheel, you know, which is life is suffering when you're down here and it's great when you're up here. And don't cling to up here and don't try and push off from when you're down here, but just be okay with, you will get suffering and it's okay. Like learn to observe it rather than be fully enmeshed in it. Cause it, cause it will be there. So we're all on the same path. It's like, just like things aren't like, it's changing maybe all the time and just be compassionate towards yourself and, and your partner maybe when, yeah, when you're going yeah. through those cycles. Beautiful. So the next one is what are red flags that might come up if you're in a relationship with a narcissist? Wow. That wow. Wow. Sounds tricky. Like Yes. A- Yes. So I think one of the red flags is 
you probably knew you were, but you, you kidded yourself you weren't, you know. I, I think it's, it's tricky. Uh, if you think of it this way, a narcissist is, is really hiding a ton of pain and shame and insecurity. And so what they do is they put on this mask of, you know, superiority and like you're just blessed to be in there in their orbit it's like they are the sun and you're like little venus orbiting around them and you know every now and again they notice you and you go oh my god oh my god sun notice me oh my god it's worth staying and then it goes shady again and dark you know and you go i feel like shit i need to be out of this and and i think the thing is with with most people who are narcissists you will they will attract enablers who will enable them to carry on being narcissists so the first thing you can you can try and do is is call it you know wow I, I and and also when you call it try and do it in a way that it doesn't polarize the person whereby they either come out fighting feeling attacked or needing to defend themselves so a really great way to talk about anything in ourselves is to say a part of me because if i say a part of me it's not my totality if i say i am angry it's my totality. And if we were having a fight, Rachel, you wouldn't be able to go anywhere with that. You just think I'm angry. So what's the point of carrying on this conversation? In, in you know, other languages, they say I have anger. You know, in French, j'ai peur, I have fear. And that's really, really good because it means I have a part of me that is this, but a whole other part of me is something else. And so in that, there's a place for, for negotiation. So you could say, you know, I've noticed that sometimes you seem to have tendencies that I would call quite narcissistic, you know, and it's when you do this and when you do that, what do you, what do you feel about that? You know, so they don't feel threatened or attacked. So they won't come at you threatened, threatening in a threatening way or in an attacking way. You could also offer up if they, if they do say, wow, I can see what you mean, then go do some therapy. They need to go do some therapy on that. You won't as an individual change them. That's the thing. If you are in a relationship with a narcissist, it is not your job to change them. You either accept it, which I wouldn't recommend long term, or you advise or you offer up some help or support external of you. And if you see them actively taking that on, power to you, power to them. Maybe it's a relationship you could stay in. But always know you aren't you don't come out of the womb a narcissist. Something in their childhood would have made them shore up their defense system like they have. You know, and so you've got a massive amount of defense that you're trying to get over. It's like those old fairy tales, you know, when the princess is locked in the tower and there's all that bramble and the prince has to fight his way through all that and cut all the bramble. And that's a narcissist in, in the tower is a tiny quaking little little girl or little boy. But it's not your job to save them. Yeah. And I think I've noticed with people that have narcissistic tendencies, I guess, I mean, I'm not diagnosing people, but the tendency to not take responsibility for their part in something and almost like project it on, onto someone else is a big one for me that I was like, oof, like I noticed that in a relationship that I have and, and, and it didn't work out well, but I know other people that have had had similar situations where it's always like, I did something wrong, but it's your fault or I did something wrong. And I'm going to deny it and blame you. Yeah. Anyways. So again, you're never going to change that person's mind, right? <laughs> no, but it's a really valid point that you bring up because what tends to happen is you can also look back at your childhood and you can see what was the role you took on as a child unconsciously. So if you tended to be the child who was the pleaser, the, the, the one who was like the diplomat who would, you know, sort out conflicts between parents you will meet adult relationships in that same energetic. They will feel comfortable for you. They will feel that's your kind of norm and in inverted commas. It's like your pleaser muscle is your most, it's like you've gone to the gym all your life and you've just flexed your pleaser muscle, your bicep. And so what you're meeting is the opposite of that pleaser, which is someone who's very entitled, full of their own self-worth. You can come with me, but it's in my space, in my agenda. Now, that's a really good thing for you to attract because it's showing you that you are out of balance in your system. And part of your growth this lifetime is to learn to be more like that narcissist. So again, we come back to that sort of polarity spectrum where you need to move a bit towards that, be less pleasing, say what you need from a place of center that will then have to make them come further towards the middle to meet you. 
because otherwise you end up enabling if you're constantly pleasing constantly accepting constantly sort of going no that's okay you are permitting it so you are in the dance you are complicit in the dance makes so much sense and yeah i guess that that would be a really tricky topic to dive into but ladies and gents start there (laughs) now what do you do if you don't like your partner's best friend (laughs) good one well i think you have to ask yourself why don't you like your partner's best friend could it be this is like a multiple choice question could it be a that he or she takes them away from you so you have less time with them could it be b there's some physical or you know some behavioral sort of attribute to them that you find offensive or not something you want to hang around is it c that you don't think they're good for your partner you know i'm giving you a flavor of there could be many reasons as to why you don't like their best friend one other could be you feel they don't like you so what are you doing there you are feeling you are being sort of like judged. So instead of looking at that, you're instead going, well, hell, I'll judge back as well. I'll do that too. And then we'll all be standoffish. So there's many reasons. And I think that is something, first of all, to check in with yourself about, and then also with your partner, you know, what what gives with that guy or with that girl, whenever I'm around, she seems, or he seems to do X, Y, Z. I mean, do you know why? And there'll always be the right answer you know what I mean there's always be something underneath it it's never what you first see there's always if you think it this way everybody is petrified everybody thinks they're an imposter everyone doesn't like something about themselves everyone feels they're unlovable everyone feels disenfranchised in some way whether they show it or whether they front up and act like they are God's gift underneath is massive insecurity And if you remember that, you'll never be threatened by that kind of behavior. Makes so much sense. (laughs) How do you get your partner to stop invalidating your feelings or experience when something goes wrong or hurts your feelings? For example, I'm upset about this and well, he or she would say, why do you get so mad or upset about this? It shouldn't matter to you. I mean, I guess that's sort of gaslighting in a way. Mm. how can you, and and I think you've covered this too before, just throughout about when you say this, I feel this. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, sometimes we let's, let's be real. Sometimes we lose all consciousness. We're so in the dance. We can't see the wood for the trees and um, we literally can't find our way out. So we consciousness for me is like, usually we're sitting in a big sort of like aircraft carrier and it's completely black and we've got just this little candle in front of us and that's as much as of ourselves we can really see consciousness is is where we shine a light on many different parts of us and suddenly the lights come on in that uh, airplane hangar and we're able to see a lot more about our patterns our partner's patterns our childhoods what we need what we like what we hate what we believe what we value and all of that so that is a reason to do the work. You're bringing more light into your, into what is really a very small understanding of what we're about. So with regards to this, sometimes you need a quick knee-jerk reaction as well, particularly women, because women generally, and let, let me just reframe, maybe it's the feminine. So let me say what I mean by the feminine. Every one of us carries a masculine and a feminine energetic. It's non-gender specific. And what I mean by that is we carry different flavors of it, different percentages. So Margaret Thatcher would be a woman who carried a lot of masculine. She was dynamic. It was heady. It was her way or the highway, very rule-based, very sort of institution-led. There wasn't much soft, collaborative, touchy-feely, which is the yin. The yin is I'm feeling, I'm intuiting, I'm sensing, I'm embodied. It's less thinking. It's more present. It's more now, today. The yang is more dynamic tomorrow. Where are we going in a week's time? It's vertical. So the reason I'm saying that is in, in, sometimes it's just enough to say who I am is highly sensitive. And so you need to meet me here. I'm, I'm not going to climb up into head and be all intellectual. I can't even explain why I feel like I feel. I just feel it. And we need the world to start to get to a point where that is as validated as I think. That, that lovely Rousseau, you know, I think, therefore I am, should become I feel, therefore I am. 
because we're living in a world where we're overthinking and we're not feeling enough. You know, if we were all much more embodied in our feelings, we wouldn't be so harsh with each other on social media. We wouldn't be so cutthroat, aggressive, competitive. We wouldn't have the wars we've got going on. Everyone would be much more collaborative, you know, seeking something higher for for all, not just for one. And I think that's interesting. And in, in, in particular, I know a woman asked this question. So I think, like you, you mentioned, I think it's also, which you've said before, that women sometimes you carry this like cutthroat, you say queen of swords, I'm going to cut off your head energy. Mm-hmm. And instead of stepping back, they immediately react with that, like screw you energy to their husband, which can be off putting too, and is not really fair to go into attack mode to to the masculine Mm. partner, like come at them full force, cutting off their head too, instead of like, like you were just saying, being a little bit softer and talking about the feelings instead of just totally wiping them out when they say like, why'd you react that way? You know, I think it's normal sometimes for people to call you out or question sometimes a reaction and then people just get so defensive and and particularly women can just Mm. "Ah!" (laughs) stab you to death. (laughs) Why the question, why do you react that way is judgmental and paternal, you know, it's sort of like fatherly. And what it's doing is it makes us energetically go into young girls again or, you know, a young child where we're feeling like we have to justify why we're feeling like we're feeling and what is wrong with just feeling it. Like why a lot of the self-help world is good and valid. When I grew up, there was only one book on self-help and it was I'm okay, you're okay. And I can remember thinking I'm really not okay. But there was no psychology. Now you walk into a big bookshop and there's a whole wall of self-help psychology and all and all that jazz but but you know that's just feeding the mind so we're all nuanced and understanding in our heads but really it comes down to embodiment is where you're in your body and and you're deep in it so you're not going to answer immediately it's like someone asks you something like why why are you so whatever and it lands in front of you and you don't it doesn't go why are you so like that and you feel it in your nervous system we all need to calm our nervous system so we want to feel okay i'm leaning back you're saying that and then you could take a while to answer, you know, breathe into that and go, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm not sure. I'll let you know. I'll think about it. I'll feel into that. Uh, I'll get back to you. It doesn't have to be black, white now, not, you know, speedy, speedy, speedy. And then it can also be because that's how I roll. I, I'm a deep feeler. That's, that's me. So when I say that, that, that's what I'm saying. You know, you have to learn to meet me with that. It's having the confidence, I think. But our intuition is so important to us because... It's the seat of our our whole kind of the solar plexus in yoga. You know, that's our core. That's our nervous system, the center of it, the vagus nerve. You know it, Rachel. But but it's so vital. It's so important. And we are wired nowadays for speed outside of ourselves, adrenal. You're coming at me. You're not coming at me. I'm going there. I'm not even here right now in the present. And we've got to learn to slow it all down and breathe and go, because because it's who I am, you know, and let other people deal with it, you know, let them, if, they, if they're not comfortable with it, they have to go figure. It's not your job to shapeshift, to make it easy for them to accommodate. Make sense? Otherwise, yes. you're never able to build you because you're constantly trying to show who you are to someone else so that they feel better. Well, that's no way to have a relationship. You've got to just have the confidence to say, this is who I am. This is who I am. Perfect. So we're going to um, do two questions kind of in one. So why is it so hard to move on when someone hurts you so badly? And then how do you deal with them moving on and being happy with someone else? Yeah, I mean, first of all, that's really painful, isn't it? When when you're hurt by somebody. So I think I think you really need to realize that you've been hurt, accept that, own it. Don't try and pretend you haven't or push off from it and do some self-care. You know, what What could you do to nurture yourself? You know, could you, I don't know, get a massage? Could you be with some supportive friends, loving friends, people who, who big you up, you know, so that you don't feel alone, you don't feel abandoned and, and that you're really looking after yourself. I think that that's the key. It's less about thinking about what they did. You have to try and train your mind not to keep going back over the past and, you know, trying to look for signs or trying to understand it more. And 
that that's what the mind will do. The mind is trying to protect us. So what it tries to do is figure it out. Well, I mean, unless we could literally climb into someone else's head, we're on a losing battle there and it's and it's a waste of your energy. So you have to be quite vigilant with your mind and go, okay, no, that doesn't serve me to think that. It's not healthy for me to 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 let these repetitive thoughts get the better of me. I'm not going there is a good little mantra to say to yourself because it doesn't serve me to my highest. You know, it's not it's not helping me heal. You could also do do something physical, yoga or, you know, Tai Chi or something that gets you moving out the grief or the pain or the suffering. Otherwise it gets locked in the body. You know, we suppress so much and, and we carry the trauma. You know, it is an element of trauma. So that's sort of all self-care. Forget about them, stop your mind, get into your body, get into your breath and do lots of, of self-care. Then the other bit about um, when you see someone else is, is moving on. First of all, if it's a picture, our minds again go a million places and make it mean a million things that may not be true. So just because we might see our ex sort of dating or in a smile in that one shot, it doesn't mean they're, they're necessarily happy. And equally, it doesn't necessarily mean they've processed the breakup. Their coping mechanism, I, I know this with a lot of clients, especially male clients, would be to date a lot of people. That's their coping mechanism. So instead of doing any self-care, they just throw themselves out there and they hope, well, if I throw myself at enough women, one of them's going to stick and someone's going to like me and someone's going to love me. Well, that will only last so far. Meantime, you may be on a slower trajectory, healing self-care. But it's a bit like um, a race, you know, like the snail and the hare. You know, the hare rushes off, bam, bam, bam. And the snail is slowly, slowly self-care, looking after itself, making itself feel good again, and eventually crosses the line, if there was a line of, of happiness, you know. Finally, there's resolution. And I think you've really got to separate from that and go, look, that is my path. That is their path. And take it less personally, which I know is really hard. But I always try and approach life as we're here to learn something and stuff happens like we're on that stage and we, and, and yeah, maybe it doesn't work out, but actually maybe something better is coming. We don't know yet. We got to, we got to trust to something. I think, I mean, the happiest people in life are the ones who are trusting. The unhappiest people in life are the ones who don't trust, don't believe in anything other than pragmatic, solid, what it does on the tin, but people who have some sort of spiritual connection, you know, I, I don't have a God per se. I don't have a religion because that's all man-made structures that I think have sort of morphed what the what the truth is of it all, which is just a connection to that cosmic universal field where you feel supported when you lie on the floor. You know what I mean? It's like you really feel you can let yourself lean into the floor, the earth, and it and it has you. So one one thing I often teach young people, especially you know when they have a lot of different breakups, you know you know it's sort of a bit more nuanced when they're maybe in their early twenties is whenever you find yourself crying about a partner or regretting or, you know, really suffering, every time you really cry, you've got to give X amount of money to a charity. And, and you decide ahead of time what that charity is going to be so that, you know, after all those tears, they will have been worth it because you'll see it in the bank of some charity. So there's a big plus in your suffering, <laughs> which I think is really helpful. I've never heard that. So that's a really interesting way to look at it. Good advice. I give it, I give it to my daughter's friends. Oh, yeah. So I know that we've been here forever. So I appreciate your time and thank you so much. So I'm going to try to wrap this up for you. But I have three more questions that are, I think are very interesting and would be very helpful to hear. So in your opinion, what's the secret to a successful long-term partnerships? We touched on a lot today. So I know you answered a lot um, that could pertain to this? I think the secret is, is conscious communication. Conscious as in, I'm awake to what is driving me, to what is going on in me. And I'm offering up this space for you to be awake to all of that as well. And we, and we talk openly in that space and we come to some kind of agreement. And there's heart in that and there's also head in that. So the heart is there going, I, I have a desire and the head is in there implementing maybe action, like we need to go on a date night if we've got five kids under the age of, you know, 12. Yeah, I think, I think that's the main one. Uh, yeah, and that makes the most sense. Yeah. How do you reignite sexual chemistry in long-term relationships? Yes, that's, 
it's interesting, isn't it? Sex is probably one of the biggest issues that I, I meet in my couple's work where, again, it's where if we're not comfortable in our bodies owning what we like, we, we don't say it maybe. I worked with a woman recently who her husband has premature ejaculation. She's never come in her life and she's 20 years into her marriage. And I was like, wow, how, how, how are you doing? How are you hanging in there? You, you know, it's a big deal. So for her, it's really hard because it's 20 years in. So what I would offer up is don't leave it long, like get into this earlier on so that you can talk about sex, what you like, what you don't like, what pleases, what doesn't, um, how many times a week. All of those things are really important to be conscious about because people have different sex drives. And so sometimes women heading, you know, after they've had children come into really strong mother energy and mother energy is fabulous. It's really caring. It's really nurturing, but she doesn't have sex. She's not sexy. Mother energy is not sexual at all. So that's where you need to do the work. If you're a young mother and go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to leave mother at home. I'm going to leave her out of my bedroom tonight. And I am going to put on <laughs> some sexy underwear that makes me not him. I'm, I never put on sexy underwear for anyone else, but me, you know, I'm going to make me feel like I'm not just a mother, a part of me as a mother, but there's another part that's me before I had children and she's sexy and she's vital and she knows what she likes. And do you see what I mean? So you separate out from these things. And I, and I think being talking about it, you know, not just repressing it and being honest to say, you know, I've lost my sex drive, you know, being honest to say, we need to find new tools. We need to find new things. We need to bring new things into the bedroom, not necessarily new people, but I don't know, dress up, whatever, but there's a problem and we're sensible, you know, creative people. Let's fix it. Great. And then that leads into the last question about, your thoughts on ethical non-monogamy and open relationships. What are your advice, insights on this? I know this is a dangerous topic for some people, and I know people who've done it successfully, supposedly. So what do you think about this? What was the other one? Ethical non-monogamy and what was the other? Just open relationship advice. Open so basically, if, yeah, you're in a, if you're in a relationship, you have an open relationship, and you want to... Um, sleep with other people how would you yeah, go about clearly. that okay so I'll imagine you asked me that question so um so first of all any relationship is a two-way dance so you are both fully entitled equally to your own needs and the needs within your relationship that's really important no one has the upper hand that's really key so first of all it starts with a dialogue of really what understanding what ethical non-monogamous or open relationship new partners means for the person who's saying it and you listening to it so you're all on the same page because you know an open again you know I've, I've I've seen instances where the man is really interested in the woman having another partner another woman but he's really not okay with her having another man in the room now that for me is 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 a tricky one where you've got to really negotiate that because it's setting the relationship up for a for a bad fall if there is one rule for you and one rule for them so it has to be really honest open with a lot of trust about what you want how you want it what you won't accept maybe what a safe word is maybe what it means about meeting someone else what are the what are the boundaries here what do we do with feelings it's one thing to have sex with someone else but what happens when we start to get feelings for that other person and if you can talk about it ahead of time, that's the best thing to do. And if you're really not comfortable with it, really, really say that, you know, and maybe you might need to go to a therapist together to do some couples work to really work out those reasons. You know, you might have maybe your mother and father were swingers or something. You've got bad experience, you know, as a, as a child. But also it's important you, you don't make it mean it's about you. I'm not enough. Men don't like other men to sleep with their woman, usually because they feel inadequate but they don't seem to understand or respect that equally the woman could feel the same. And so again, I think it's about this time of our life that we're in. We need to start redressing that, that, that gender imbalance, you know, cause it's not fair. Women should have every right. Does that make sense? Yes. Great advice. So boundaries, 
saying what you want, defining if you were to have an open relationship, what what is okay and what's not okay. And both people have to have equal opportunity and um, yeah, be in agreement on what, what it is that is going to fly and what's not going to fly. <laughs> uh, yeah. And to check in and to have a safe word, you know, to check in and go, okay, we've been doing it a month now. How are you? This is how I am. Is it working? Is it not? I'm noticing, I'm feeling you're getting feelings for that person and, and for them to be really honest in that. And if they're not honest, you have to trust your intu intuition and maybe say, okay, we have to, we have to stop this. Now, my experience of working with people in all different types of styles of relationship, it rarely works out well, bringing someone else into your, into your relationship for either one of you will start to have feelings. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Well, Jane, that is it. I'm wrapping it up. I cannot thank you enough for taking the time today. This is going to be so helpful for anyone who listens. Your advice and your wisdom is super valuable to me. And I know everyone else will feel the same way when they listen to this. Um, if someone wants to get in touch with you, are you taking on new clients? Or if they want to find out more information about you, where can they look on social media and online? So if they just type in Jane underscore F. CMA, that's just Fellow of the Complementary Medical Association is what I was trying to say. Um, you find me on there, you can DM me on that or jane at janecastle.com, you'll find out more. Perfect. So on Instagram, jane underscore FCMA. And then on your website that you just mentioned, we'll put everything in the show notes. Jane, thank you so much. I'm so happy to have you and um, loved this conversation. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks for being such a, a great asker of the questions. You make me <laughs> feel very comfortable. And it's, it's a lovely dance we have going on between us. I really, I really enjoy that sort of sisterhood. It's, it's really lovely, really beautiful. I'm, I'm really touched in my heart. So thank you for the space. Good. Thank you so much. And everyone, I would love to hear what you guys have to say about the, this conversation. So DM with all of your thoughts. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you got some valuable takeaways from this episode. Info will be in the show notes, but the Inner Beauty Code podcast is available on all major listening platforms. Don't forget to follow and subscribe so you never miss an episode.